This podcast is presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and your one-stop shop for optimizing all your office technology. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Is it caught? Is it caught? Oh my goodness, it's caught! DeAndre Hopkins caught it! He caught it for a touchdown! You've got to be joking me! Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by Pacific Office Automation. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Touchdown, Kyler Murray. That defender is in multiple pieces. Oh, that was nasty right there, right? The latest news and notes from the guys who cover the team. Drilled by Simmons. Isaiah Simmons is balling. Bring it on, bring it on. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. I ain't scared of nobody. Here's Paul Calvisi. You guys thought the stock market tank today. Just waiting for this edition of Cardinals Underground. How about that for an intro? Because come on now. I mean, if the Cardinals can win their first two road games in a season for just the third time in the last 30 years, right? If Kyler can become the first quarterback in team history, team history to complete 80% of his passes in two straight games, really? If Jackson DeVille can bungee jump off the top of that college stadium, in week three to get things rolling against the Jaguars. If Sean McVay can be 40-0 when leading at halftime, and if a penalty flag can hit a punt in midair and cause Rondell Moore to muff said punt, then you know what? We can do Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation. Who's with me? Darren Urban and Felipe that, Corral that, Jr. That was, uh, that was inspired, Paul. How about that? That was an inspired intro. Yeah, now go run through that wall. Okay, there's that's all I got for motivation. Paulie pep talk. There you go. We don't go, do that Felipe. in the NFL. Didn't you listen to Cliff last week? <laughs> that's right. Cliff was saying that's last right. week that's that's what you no. do. That yeah. Guys run through walls in college. They, you don't get that in the NFL. We're not running through any walls for you. I started visualizing Paul jumping off at the top of that the Jacksonville Stadium as you With mentioned. With or without that. the cord. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> wow, wow. Saying with there's the court, some, there's some animosity in there? With, uh, really? With malice, I guess, is, is what you're insinuating there? Felipe well, no, wishes when, me bad intentions? Well, is that what you're saying? He intentions. goes, I, I pictured wow. Paul jumping off. I'm like, yeah. I mean, well, no, I, knew you had, I knew you had Bungie said jumping, but that just seemed very... Jeez. Yikes. What was the year? It was midway through his career, right? Larry Fitzgerald? <laughs> there was the video... I meant Jackson DeVille. No, of, of Larry Fitzgerald bungee jumping. Yes. Off some bridge. I have that picture. It's no, it's some tower in New Zealand. Is that what it was? was. And, yeah. and you're like, wait a minute, doesn't that violate his contract? What is he doing? If he can't water ski, he certainly can't bungee jump off the Eiffel oh, Tower. Look, every single one of the, and I shouldn't say every single one, but so many of these players violate their contract every year. <laughs> How many of these guys play pickup basketball? And I'm fairly certain that's oh. standard language. Oh, yeah. You might want to put a security guy over at Kurt Warner's backyard and just see how many uh, current players show up to play uh, basketball pickup style, right? Who's the best basketball player that's that that's on the team or you oh, should be on the Arizona Cardinals? Because I can name a few now, but I don't know. If that you that are on the them. team now? Well, both. The combination yeah. of back then. Well, what are we talking about? Are we talking See, about the guys that are really good or the guys that think they, they were that good? <laughs> I was going to say, it's better you're asking Darren, right, who, who's a hoopsaholic over there, than going through the locker room because every single guy would just cite himself. Every single guy would Look, name himself. There's, there's no... Uh, Let's the, say you're doing the, five the, on five. In the, time, in the time that I've covered them, no one beats... Darren Fells, because the guy played professional mm. basketball. That's true. Now That's it right. wasn't it was overseas, yeah. but he played professional basketball. So no matter what Tony Jefferson wanted to say, no matter what Tyron wanted to say, no matter what Kurt might have wanted to say once upon a time, or Anquan, or even Fitz, uh, 
no one was beating Darren Fells. But I mean, they've had some guys. I remember I remember talking to AQ Shipley about it, and he goes, he goes, I know it doesn't look like. I, I look like it when you look at me now, but he goes, but he goes, I was a baller in high school. And, and <laughs> no. he, he, I think Lie he, detector. I think he might've been like an all state like center. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Like obviously a little shorter, but like he apparently could play some basketball, but they've, they've had some, they've had a lot of good players. I, I've watched, uh, I've actually, pl- I played against Anquan Bolden a little bit a long time ago and I, I played against Fitz briefly um did you take a you, charge yeah when did you, you take say, a charge you can see the guy was it like first to 21 here's, here's my no these were like celebrity games that i got invited to my, oh. my all-time my all-time charge story was uh way back in the day dale hellestray who played for the cowboys a long snapper for a long time he's he's a local guy and he was doing a charity event a charity game at, at desert mountain for his father i think who had passed away some foundation and he somehow convinced uh, Emmett and Michael Irvin and Troy Aikman to fly out for this charity game. So they were all on one team, and I got he invited me to play, and and uh, but Marte Jenkins was on the other team, and I'll never forget Marte Jenkins, who was a, a he at one point had the uh, NFL record for kick return yards in a season because in 2000 I think the Cardinals gave up so many points that he returned like a thousand kickoffs, but. <laughs> Um, he's playing in this game. Josh McCown was in this game too, I believe. And uh, he was coming down, and I totally could have taken a charge on Marte Jenkins because he was coming. And I, all I could think, and at this time I wasn't working for the team, but I was covering the team for a newspaper. And I remember thinking to myself, if you try and take a charge on this guy and somehow he comes down wrong and injures himself, <laughs> you are becoming the story. You do not want to become the story. So I, I smartly got out of the way and let Marte I don't think he dunked it I think he tried to get up to dunk it and laid it in or whatever he did but I never saw him in person but supposedly Josh McCown could hoop Josh could hoop. he could ball he could seriously he could play I saw him in person a couple of times I've seen some highlights Anquan Bolden who absolutely knows he can play a little bit he swore by Josh McCown in fact that uh, talk about all-time stories when the Cardinals <laughs> I won't get into the details, but one of these times I'll have to tell a story about how he, Denny Green said, and I think I've said it on these airwaves before, how he wasn't going to draft a quarterback when they, the year they drafted Fitz. But one of the arguments that Denny had for drafting Fitz and not a quarterback was because Josh McCown was so great. And while when he was saying how great of a quarterback Josh McCown was, it was... T- one of his arguments was he's a great basketball player, which at the time, <laughs> that's right. I'm like, yeah. Josh will tell you a story like he wanted to be in the NBA first, and his dad was like, no, you're. <laughs> Is Josh you're, a shooter he, or like what? what he was every. Of- first of all, Josh was super athletic. I can't speak for him now. He's a little bit older, but back in the day, Josh McCown was every bit of athlete as every other guy that came through here. I mean, I'm serious. Like, I know you're thinking, you know. You're Typical thinking, here's quarterback. a six three yeah. white guy, but he could jump <laughs> out of the gym. He could shoot. I mean, he he could play. I mean, that's back when the days the Cardinals O line was horrendous, and yeah. his escapability and the oh, athleticism yeah. just to save his own life. Yes. Mean, that was something to witness, no doubt about it. My celebrity story with a name drop. Okay, thanks for asking. <laughs> uh, 
Remember Mike Golick way back in the day yeah. when he's actually a local radio Bruce guy. Bruce Jacobs. So it was uh, yours truly, and it was uh, it was between periods at a Coyotes game, and next thing I knew, they took some of the opposing radio guys from opposing stations, put us in the sumo suits, and stuck us out there as entertainment oh, between Wait, periods. Wait, did Mike Golick need a sumo suit at that point? Um, he's very large. Uh, think J.J. Watt. Mike Golick is that big. Yeah. He's every bit of 6'6". He is enormous. And I don't know how I got blindsided by... <laughs> By Mike Golick on the ice. He slammed me. I went flying in my sumo suit with all the padding, and I skidded, no joke, three-quarters the length of the ice into the far boards. And everyone who wasn't up to get a beer was doubled over, <laughs> roaring, as Paulie Pencil had just smashed up against those boards. And I still remember that, and I should have probably gone into concussion protocol in hindsight, but I got absolutely waylaid and jack-stomped by Mike Golick. There, there's no video of this? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Maybe check YouTube. Who there's knows? no video of either of these stories because, one, I would want to see that happen, Paul, and then I would want to see Darren Hoop. You know, there's no, you a lot of... Wanna, back, back then, I was another you know, 50 pounds heavier. I don't think that would have worked very well. Or back in your day, you weren't, you weren't a hooper or anything? No. I was a... I, I mean, I like to think I can... I can play. I'm not great. And I, I, I hit my prime when I was like 35 because I was overweight most of the time before that. Only reason I brought that up is because I play in the rec league and I played against... You didn't against, invite me. No, I played against Dion Buchanan, but he missed a wide open layup. So my, I started thinking, oh, okay, Dion, who's... Yeah. Uh, no, Who's actually a yeah. bother from there were, there former players at current pro- I, On this current team, like, I don't, I haven't, see, the problem with COVID is you, these are the kind of conversations you have when you're in the locker room and you have open locker room and you're just kind of going around and talking. Mm. And we haven't had those for a year yeah. and a half. So I don't know a lot of, you know, the Hoopers. situations. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins played a little bit in, at mm. Clemson. Yep. And I know he played in high school, so I'm sure he's pretty good. Wait Did, a second. Uh, you guys are missing out on oh, no. the guy who okay. will be very upset if he ever listens to this episode of Cardinals Underground. Which and I won't. think you know where we're going. Is this Adrian? McDonald's All-American, buddy. Yeah, well. Yeah, well. <laughs> I've seen there's a little video out there of Adrian playing basketball, I think on YouTube somewhere. I feel like it. But he was he definitely played. I remember that. Hmm. Uh, by the way, if, uh, if Darren... 50 pounds ago, I mean, were you like closer to Oliver Miller? I mean, what are you saying? You know, were you like the big D instead you of the big O? You had to remember o? me. I mean, when, I, I was, when I was covering yeah. hockey that one year and we were in uh, St. Louis for that one thing and we went to yeah. dinner with Bordeaux and whoever yeah. you were working with at the time yeah. and I'm like, yeah. I, I guarantee yeah. you I was... You put together, you're like, Wolf, you ordered two entrees? Is that what, uh, at dinner? That's what uh, Wolf still does to this I day. Feel, All right. I feel good that I'm 50 or 60 pounds down from that. We'll, we'll spare everybody any more memories uh, and down memory lane, okay? A September to remember. How about that for a headline? As the Cardinals, first time in team history, they've opened a season with three straight games of 30-plus points on the board and 400-plus yards in the team stats. So uh, where do you guys want to start? I mean, you know, 3-0. and and uh, guess what? Going against one of the other five three and O teams here in Week Four in the LA Rams. And uh, Felipe, what do you got? What's your big takeaway so far? I see you looking over there. What uh, you got? Something to say as as for this Cardinals start to 2021? <laughs> uh, it's always impressive to see guys step up. You know, you, you didn't see big stats from guys like Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins, Chandler Jones, but when guys like Byron Murphy. Uh, get you two interceptions Jordan Higgs having the game that he had just a all-around performance from guys not named J.J. Watt or Chandler Jones on that side of the ball it always gives you a a specific amount of confidence especially going into week four when they're playing another undefeated team and uh, obviously Christian 
he keeps balling out. He keeps uh, showing everybody why you know he's one of the top ten receivers in in the NFL. Statistically, he is. So it's always good to see the other guys perform well, and that's what we saw in week three. I mean, honestly, Paul, if if when you were looking at the schedule, and there's a bear of an October schedule to come, but I mean, when you're looking at the schedule ahead of time, were you thinking undefeated after September? I mean, no, certainly not. Tennessee, the way they won on the road in week one. I was thinking close loss there in Tennessee, and then maybe you have a shot. You definitely have the shot in week three. But, you know, that Vikings win looks better now after Minnesota went to Seattle. The Tennessee win looks better. Tennessee win looks better now. I know a lot of the Rams folks, you know, were saying, oh, they're opening with three playoff teams and they're 3 0. Have you seen what the Colts and Bears look like this season? Yeah, that's Certainly thing. not postseason yeah, caliber. You can say all you want, but so, the Rams, it's yeah. not like – but the Rams are playing great yeah, football. Yeah. No, they are. But and, it's more evidence. You can't base anything you achieve on this year's schedule based on last year's schedule. No. It's such a moving target from year to year. And here's the thing. Even the Jags victory, you can spin that however you want. One line of thinking goes that rookie starting quarterbacks in the NFL this year are one in ten. That's five different rookie starting quarterbacks. They're one in ten. It has not been good. They have no chance of getting a win. Okay. Now, on the other hand, as both Kyler and Cliff Kingsbury said after the game in our postgame radio, this is a Cardinals team that in the last two years certainly wouldn't have walked out of Jacksonville with a victory after that game and that set of circumstances. Both Kyler said that, and when I asked Cliff Kingsbury, he admitted as much as well so it's a different Cardinals team and they're most certainly off to a different start first 3-0 start since 2015. I I just I I think for all the things that we can talk about what they need to improve on and everything I mean 3-0 is I'm just I'm impressed now whether they can snap this eight game losing streak to the Rams uh, you know covering three coaches uh, on the road this weekend I mean, we'll we'll see how that goes. I mean, I like their chances a lot better than, you know, maybe in the past. I mean, I don't, you know, it's just it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out, win or loss, uh, because again, they've got the Rams this week, they've got the 49ers the week after that, uh, they've got a game with the Browns coming up, uh, the Panthers are on the schedule. I mean, this is this is going to be an interesting stretch because. Unless you perform like you need to, you could waste away a 3-0 and start real quickly if you're not somewhat focused. I mean, if you can come out of here out of the next three games at 5-1, and one, I think people are going to have you in the top five of the league. Yeah. If you come out of these next three games and you're 3-3, three and three, everybody's going to say it was all just a fluke. And, and that's... You know, you've got, you've got to find a happy medium. But this And this team does need to play a little bit better. But man, 3-0, and oh, I, I'm, I've been impressed with what they've done so far. Paul, what came to my mind was why don't they win those games in the past two years? You know, you can make the case that they're a little bit more more mature. Cliff Kingsbury as a play caller, Kyler Murray as a as a quarterback. You add guys like James Conner and whatnot. But why don't they win those games in the past two years? Are you asking me that as a question here? Yes, I. Yes, that's what we do here on Cardinals Underground. (laughs) Well, they obviously brought to you by Pacific Office (laughs) Automation. I will say, and this is the underrated unsung key to the game in my opinion the Jaguars take a 19-10 lead on the back of an eight play 75 yard drive all runs eight straight runs seemingly every one of them went for 10 yards or more James Robinson had six carries for 66 yards himself on that drive 
and you're thinking, oh boy, I, I know my boxers. Not only did I have swamp ass going on that sideline, but my boxers were bunging something fierce at that point because it's 19-10, to 10, and if they're going to run the ball the rest of the game, guess what? You're out of luck. And so at that point, I'm like, okay. But you know what happened on the sideline? Brenson Buckner, the defensive line coach, morphed into the guy he was like under B.A., and he let the whole front seven have it. He aired him out, something fierce. And they were a different front seven the rest of that game. And I, I'm just saying, to me, that game would have gone a different way. Now, there was something else at work. A rookie quarterback and the worst play call by Daryl Bevel since the Super Bowl. What are you doing when your next possession, after you just run it straight down the field between the tackles every single snap, and now you're pulling out some flea flicker, and you're trying the trickeration at that point? Why? Why risk it with a rookie quarterback who's under duress by J.J. Watt and Chandler Jones and Marcus Golden? I, it just was mind-boggling to me why you'd even risk that, and it backfired in their face. You know, it's funny. I, I haven't looked at the All-22, but I thought I saw something from Jacksonville that said Shark was wide open deep down the field. Like, if 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 that if Norwell hadn't done the little pirouette for whatever reason and let J.J. Watt basically walk in there and get the pressure, that actually probably was going to work. That aside... And I did see a writer point that out. One of the Jacksonville writers pointed out, yes, there was a receiver wide open. I mean, I don't know if Trevor I'm blame, Lawrence I, missed. I, I would have to see it again, but I, I don't know if I can blame Daryl Bevel for an offensive lineman completely whiffing. Yeah, and I guess he uh, he got spun around or what have you. I, I just I'm not like, considering the game that Trevor Lawrence had played at that point and some of the questionable decisions he had made. Yeah. It's just the trickeration when no, you're dominating. I, I get it. I get it. I, I guess to me, if we're talking about for me that question. Like, was where it came up. I mean, when I think of this team not winning last year, I think of them after that march down the field. I think of a team that was 50 50 whether they would be able to answer. And the fact that they came back down 19 10 and marched down in what five, six plays, looked really good doing it and scored. I. I believe, and we're never going to know this, but I believe that even if the Jack Jacksonville Jaguars had tried to run some more, I think they would have stalled. I don't think they would have done the same thing they did the the the, the drive before, and I think the the Cardinals would have gotten the ball back down two, and they were going to have all the momentum. So it was that drive to me that I don't know if that they put that together in previous years, and they would have maybe punted late in the third quarter, down nineteen to ten, then. Then and that's that's kind of I feel where it went off where I feel like that that has changed now obviously the Murphy play was was gigantic um, but I mean that's that's kind of how I looked at it and to me the question this week becomes will one of the best teams in the NFL get the best out of the Arizona Cardinals because we have not seen it the last two games just haven't and that's a little bit reminiscent of 2020 and that's what still scares me the run defense. Definitely scares me what Minnesota did in the first half, what Jacksonville did at times, 159 yards rushing, 5.5 a carry. I think the run defense is still legitimately a concern. Whether it just has to do with focus, i.e. gap integrity, that will remain to be seen. Are the Rams going to really commit to running the ball when their run game is not? They are not a run-first offense right now, especially not with that collection of receivers that they have going and the way that passing game is clicking. So I'm really curious, not only how do you measure up against the Rams, obviously everybody now, you're 0-8 against Sean McVay, but will it just get the best out of this team? Because we saw it for about three quarters against Tennessee, but are you going to see a complete game, that caliber of team? 
I mean, they're going up to Hollywood, right? And I think the Cardinals' biggest stars, DeAndre Hopkins, Chandler Jones, Kyler Murray, they all have to play like stars. None of the mistakes that you made in weeks two and three are going to flow in week four. All right, if you go into halftime like you did in week two down, well, potentially could have been down 21-7, to I mean, you're not going to come back from that against a Super Bowl contender on the road. So guys like DeAndre Hopkins and Kyler Murray, and you're going to touch on the struggles that Kyler Murray has had against the Rams uh, throughout his career so far, but those guys are going to have to put up big numbers. They're going to have to make big plays. They're going to have to uh, step foot into that big stadium, the Hollywood lights, and they're going to have to play like stars because if you don't, if Kyler Murray throws another interception or another pair of interceptions in key moments, you're not going to be able to come back from that those types of mistakes. So that's going to be my key. You know, you have to stick to what's been working. And, I mean, that passing game has been working. You have those weapons on the outside. Have to find a way to give uh, DeAndre Hopkins the ball a little bit more. But you, gotta, you have to play like stars. You're in the biggest and the brightest of moments. You're going to have to shine. Well, Jalen Ramsey obviously has been effective against D-Hop in the past, but the Cardinals are a different passing offense themselves. We saw it. Christian Kirk and A.J. Green both over 100 yards receiving. So, yeah, there's going to be some different aspects to this matchup. I'm always curious to see what Sean McVay and Cliff Kingsbury have in store for each other the first time they meet any season. In fact, I asked Cliff that question on his TV show this week, and of course we didn't get an answer as to exactly whether he'd been sitting on some new stuff for Sean McVay just to uh, unveil that. But if you're asking me about the prospect of going against 99, Aaron Donald, with a shuffled interior O-line, that's definitely a little concerning although I will say man did I like the nasty out of Max Garcia he was he was bringing a bit of an edge when he filled in there Sean Harlow came in and seemed to acquit himself well Kyler was not sacked right he, he was not sacked no. at Jacksonville <clears throat> they liked Sean Harlow in, in training camp um, and, and I'll be interested to see kind of how how that flows whether Justin Pugh can possibly go whether uh, either Kelvin Beecham or Justin Murray can go because remember it's it's not like you only need one of those guys because Josh Jones is out there. So, you know, is Josh Jones going to stay at right tackle or, you know, because Justin Murray's back or is uh, potentially Kelvin Beecham back? You put Josh Jones at right guard. And if those happen, you know, does Max Garcia flip to the left side or do you keep Sean Harlow at left guard? It, it's going to be very interesting to see, like you said, what the offensive line looks like. I, I got to say that given the guard situation, you got to be happy that Rodney Hudson is in the middle yeah. there. Oh, yeah. And, and right? Just just Rodney Hudson this year going against Aaron Donald, uh, that that is very reassuring, is it not? But here's the thing, and Cliff Kingsbury confirmed this after the game, that they saw a lot of zone coverage and three- and four-man rush. They're not – even though Jacksonville had gone with a lot of exotic type of blitzes and bringing numbers in the first couple of games, they did not do it against Kyler. That seems to be the book right now. Well, he's killing the blitz. Yes. So, so teams be- have adapted, and they're going with zone coverage, which it was funny. Did you see – did you watch any of the Peyton and Eli Manning cast in the Monday Night Football? I did. And how both admitted they'd much rather go against man coverage than sure. zone. Sure. And so it's easier to decipher. There you go. Especially for younger quarterbacks. Uh-huh. So they're going to continue seeing that, which makes it remarkable that Kyler has a completion percentage of 80% plus in the last two games. First time in team history that a quarterback has done that, which is hard to believe considering Kurt Warner, Carson Palmer, Neil Lomax, whoever you want to throw out there, Jim Hart. I mean, come on. And they're not all within five yards of the line of scrimmage either. He's gone uh-huh. down the field. Yeah. 
In fact, I would say, and you guys, you know, and I looked this up, the guy who's killing him on the completion percentage is DeAndre Hopkins when it comes to targets versus receptions. Now, I looked at it, 18 targets, 13 catches this year by D-Hop. It was just this last game where he had six targets, three catches. A.J. Green, 18 targets, just 10 catches. But obviously their chemistry was much better the last two games versus the first game. So, you know, you got to figure, okay, they're going to get in sync. Now, whether we didn't see some of that chemistry you're used to seeing between D-Hop and Kyler, and maybe that had something to the fact that D-Hop missed all of practice with the rib injury, maybe that came Possibly, to fruition in yeah. the game. That's at least what I was thinking sitting there on the sideline. Yeah. Well, this is what happens when you're not on the practice field all week. It's going to be interesting. That, that's another thing. Like, was he bothered by those ribs when he was playing? Did that hamper him at all? Was it, or is it just the fact that he missed practice? It's, it's really hard to tell. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's funny. Somebody, I don't know if they're just a, a DeAndre Hopkins fan or he's on their fantasy team or whatever, but he was like, look, I, this is getting ridiculous. They're not getting the ball to DeAndre Hopkins. They have to do this. And I believe that DeAndre Hopkins has to do something about it. Which he needs to... He needed to throw some things on the sideline. I'm like, and he goes, I know you'll disagree with this, Darren. I'm like, yeah, I am going to disagree with it. So you think the right thing for a wide receiver to do would be throw a public fit when the team is winning and they're averaging 30 points and 400 yards of offense a game. I don't, I don't know why you would think that would be a good idea. I always think going T.O. or Ocho Cinco is productive. You know, throwing just a, uh, you know, a, a pampered diva wide receiver fit on the sideline. Me, me, me. Yeah, especially when the rest of the guys in that wide receiver group are producing the way that they're producing. The last thing you want is make it about yourself. <laughs> At halftime, though, the question to Cliff Kingsbury was, all right, what's ailing the offense? And, and he said no rhythm. And he said inconsistent play calling. He put it on himself. And then on his coach's show, I asked him, there was the two-minute warning, victory was in hand, and he went over to Kyler and gave him a fist bump, and they had a long conversation. And I said, in not so many words, so coach, uh, is it classified info if we ask you about, and in the past when I've used that phrase, phraseology, if you will, he's always coming up and said, yes. Before he even hears a question, he says, yes, it's classified info. Now, this, this time he entertained it. And, and, and I said, can you share what you and Kyler talked about at length at the two-minute warning? And he sort of paused, and he smiled. He said, I actually talked to him about how I'm striving to be better with my play calling. So the head coach continues to be hard on himself with his play calling. Cited at halftime with the TV reporter, and then after the game. you know, So he's still hard on himself. Now maybe he has Sean McVay in mind, because those two, and Sean McVay is considered one of the best play callers in the league, and, and those guys are close, and that matchup is coming up. But it's, um, it's really funny, though, because last week, if you recall, Paul, early in the week when we started talking about uh, to Kyler about the, the scramble plays and how effective they had been in those first two games, and Cliff basically said, I don't have any ego as a play caller because I've learned that it doesn't if if, if it True. works it works yeah, right. and then it's all good and if it doesn't work whatever now i'm not saying they're they're on the parallel tracks cuz you can be not have an ego and still be hard on yourself i i just again i go back to for all the faults that cliff kingsbury that people think cliff kingsbury has as a head coach uh, i've liked this from the day he walked in where it does not feel like he has an ego he truly wants the team as a group to be good and if he gets credit for it fine but it's not going to bother him if he doesn't get credit and he just wants it all to work out in the best way and he doesn't care how it happens 
I, I, I love that about him. I'm glad you mentioned that he kind of took it upon himself to make that remark because I was watching Sunday Night Football, as many of us were, and you just see the production that Devontae Adam has had on that specific game. And I want to see that from DeAndre Hopkins, you know, especially against the Rams, Super Bowl contender. I want to see a 100-yard performance from him, five to eight catches or whatnot on the biggest stages of them all. I mean, a lot of his passes have been hitch routes, have been crossing routes. You can aim it a lot of short passing, you know, scenarios. But I, I do want to see, you know, a go route. I want to see a explosive play, a twenty five well, yard gainer or whatnot. They, they, they had one dialed up, and Max Williams just sold it horribly. Yeah. Otherwise, that would have been a great play call. I mean, come on, Max, you got to be better than that. But that was a beautiful pass but that just happened to be the one play where i was standing on the sideline the ball was coming like right at Mm -hmm, me and it's amazing when there's a bunch of six foot six six seven offensive linemen d linemen and the ball just literally comes out of nowhere yeah and it's right on the money yeah in stride i mean that was such a nice play and it's too bad it had to come back but i'll also say that you know i i think it's to me it's nuanced about the hopkins thing do they need to get him the ball more yes but like I don't know. There were games last year where he had a bunch of catches and it didn't super impact the game because it, it felt like they were just trying to get him the ball. There's a very, very fine line there is between working somebody in the offense and so you are super successful and, you know, and just doing it to do it. And I, I understand what you're saying about Devontae Adams. I wasn't able to watch most of the game because we were still in the air. Um, but obviously I saw the end, and that was incredible. And, and I do think in certain times I I think Kyler should look a little bit more towards DeAndre Hopkins. But, again, I can't complain. I take the, 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 third, the one third down conversion they had in Jacksonville, which was I got A.J. Green one-on-one. I'm going to throw him a jump ball, and I'm going to say go get it. I don't have a problem with that. And in most ca- most of the time you're saying you should be looking for DeAndre Hopkins, but A.J. Green can make that play, and he did. You, you think about, though, last year, remember that week, I believe it was week 15 against the Eagles, the the type of game DeAndre Hopkins had. And yeah, ex- I remember that. That's a ex- good point. The explosive, the explosive yardage that he had on certain passes and how at ease they won that specific game. And you kind of thought to yourself, all right, then they're heading into the right direction going into the last two weeks of the season. And then you kind of saw a little bit of a drop-off in the last two weeks of the season. Obviously, Kyler was hurt in the last regular season game. But I think of those speci- that specific time frame of how productive DeAndre Hopkins was against the Eagles and then that slight drop-off against the Niners and the Rams and the difference that made in those last three weeks of the season mm-hmm. because obviously they were trying to get into the, the postseason and whatnot. So, and I even think back to week one. I mean, he was dominant. And look at how easy they won that game and how dominant they were on offense. And not to say that they haven't been dominant in the last three weeks, which they have obviously 30 points in each of those games. But just the differences of DeAndre Hopkins had a very efficient game in week one and the result and how easy that the Cardinals won in that in week one against the Titans. And then just in these last two weeks, it seems like they struggled a bit. Maybe there's a theme there. Maybe there's maybe I'm overthinking it or whatnot. But against Jalen Ramsey, I'm pretty sure he circled that specific game. All right. Then I'm on the road on Ramsey Island. Let's see. Yeah, and and last year, week 17 at the Rams against Jalen Ramsey. So here we go again, and, and, and you'll see. I'm intrigued still by what Kyler said after the Minnesota game. 
when he was asked about no targets for DeAndre Hopkins in the last three quarters, and he said, yeah, we need to move him around. And when he ended up on the right side for at least one play, there were, pro- there were probably that one more. Play. No, but and that's why I bring it up because it, it was crazy. so notable. It is notable. I, I noticed it. You yeah. noticed it in the I press did, box. I, I noticed it on the sideline. Jim Omohundro beat me to it in my headset from the producer's booth. He almost said, hey, look, it, you got D-Hop on the right side. That's how noticeable it was. So is that going to happen with more frequency? Because, you know, Kyler said it himself. Is he going to speak it into existence? What exactly does that mean? Uh, You know, that's what's intriguing to me because if you're asking me about concerns this week, you know, a week ago we said, yes, the fact the Vikings were able to neutralize both Chandler Jones and DeAndre Hopkins. We cited, you know, they didn't have a great week of practice and the head coach said we came out flat. We cited those elements. Right now, Darren, you mentioned it, third down. They went one for nine against Jacksonville. They were three for nine against Minnesota. And so the Rams, meanwhile, are converting over 54% of their third downs. And here's the stat you really need to be scared of. Be afraid, be very afraid of a Rams offense that is scoring on an NFL best 58.6% of their drives. On more than 58% of their drives, they are scoring. That is ridiculous. Well, I mean, again, they're playing at a super high level. Can this defense hold up? Can they find a way to get to Matthew Stafford, who is going to be less active running around back there than Trevor Lawrence, but obviously a better quarterback? You know, can you get there? Um, I thought there were times when the pressure did – make things tough for Trevor Lawrence, but there was other times where I'm like, okay, you need to get a little more more pressure on him right now. Um, you know, can can that happen? I, I think that's a great a great thing to watch. And I don't think the Rams – I mean, the Rams are going to be okay on the ground, but they're not going to – I mean, James Robinson is better than a running back that the Rams have right now. now so, so can you do some things? Can you maybe force Matt Stafford into a, a turnover here or there? I mean, I, I'm I, – it's it's going to be fascinating. And all that being said, I still I, I need to know what this offense is going to be able to do against that defense because I feel like against the Rams, that's that's where this team has really struggled is any kind of consistency. Kyler doesn't have great games against them. Um, we talked about the offensive line situation. You know, can can he make some things happen? I, I, that, I I'm very curious about that. But see, that's my point. When I said that the the best players on this team have to perform the best yeah. because if the Rams are playing at this high level because their best players are being highly, you know, effective. Cooper Cup leads the NFL in yards, right, and receiving yards. Matthew Stafford Stafford is one of the top quarterbacks, arguably so far in the NFL season. Errol Aaron Donald continues to perform at a high level. Those are three key guys on, on that on that roster that keep producing, and that's why the Rams uh, are three and zero. So now you, you make the argument, or you make the I pose a question. Imagine if DeAndre Hopkins, if Chandler Jones played like they played in Week One against the Rams, against the Vikings, against the Jaguars. Those victories come with these, right? So hopefully we see that in Week yeah. Four. I'm well, intrigued. And you won't get a kick six, right? I mean, come on now, right? We can if there's one prediction I'm willing to make and go out on that bungee jump like Jackson DeVille, okay, it's that there won't be another kick six considering we had not seen one in the NFL since two thousand seven. 
So uh, if it's the end of the first half and they're facing a 65 yard field goal attempt, do you do not think he'll try it? Uh, indoors, yes. Outdoors, uh, no. And since this is at SoFi, and by the way, that is a glorious stadium. That is an unreal stadium. It's going it, to be interesting it, to see with people. It shows uh, what six-plus billion dollars can buy. Mm-hmm. That's how much. That's the price tag on that thing. Think about that. The Cardinals State Farm Stadium circa 2005-2006 cost just under half a billion dollars, $500 million yeah. or so. Yeah. <laughs> now, the Rams who went in thinking they were going to spend $3 billion ended up spending six-plus billion dollars in that stadium. But, see, that was, to me... When Prater trotted out there from the sideline, a couple of things were at work. Number one, there was a slight breeze. A little bit, just a little bit. And also, there was a In bit of... In his face? It was sort of a cross. <laughs> oh, it, was sort of, it was sort of from left to right. Just a little bit. Okay. It wasn't completely still. Uh, there was hum- the, the air was humid, not like Nashville, but a little enough that it's a little heavy air, a little bit. And you, know, you just don't have those indoor conditions. And so that's the only thing that gave me a little uncertainty as he went out there. So when I was younger, I used to like lick my finger and put it in the air to to kind of see where the the air is coming from. Is that what you did on on the field? Is that how you know there was a slight breeze coming all, in? All from I had to do was go selfie with my phone and see the frizz factor on my hair. That's all <laughs> I needed to do. That's that's all I really needed, yeah. you know. For uh, <laughs> but that I mean. And honestly, I didn't think about this until I saw one of the writers point this out uh, about the whole James Harrison connection. I honestly did not think of Super Bowl Forty Three when no, that went down. I'll be honest; when he was going down the sideline, that's the first thing I thought <laughs> of. A, I'm like, I'm sitting in the trauma. press box, and yeah. I'm like, again, yeah, just somebody push him out of bounds. And I should have thought of it because all you saw all weekend long in NFL Network was the James Harrison. This is my football life on a no, loop. I, I, I mean, it's all you saw. That, so you saw that stinking highlight over and over all weekend, and the Cardinals visiting team hotel and it's like somebody changed the station already because this James Harrison documentary won't stop playing so uh, but and here's the other thing that return man had house to kickoff return the the week before he's one of the best return guys so when I saw him under the goalposts I'm like oh boy this 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 dude Jamal Agnew he took one back the week before and you got a bunch of offensive linemen and tight ends on this field. It was risky. That's all I'm saying. I, I know it was risky. Although, if you look, uh, I'm going to channel my inner Kyle Odegaard here. Because um, I, I reached out to uh, one analytics guy um, who, didn't, who basically said uh, that there aren't enough 60-yard field goal attempts of all time to really have a proper way to measure if it's a good or a bad idea. Um, so there's that, but also, you know, I started thinking cause everybody was talking about, okay, the, t- to me, the arguments were you make the field goal, you miss the field goal, you miss the field goal and he returns it all the way for a touchdown or you try a hail Mary. I mean, those are basically the outcomes, uh, that potentially could happen. And there was another site that did crunch the, the, whether they should go for it versus, uh, it being returned all the way for a touchdown on the last play. And the math said the odds were you, you had better odds to get a field goal out of that than to give up a a kick six. Hmm. So, uh, you know, it's, it was called a defensible decision by them. Uh, The other guy I talked to said, I can understand why he went for it, especially if Jeff Rogers and Matt Prater are saying he can do this, which they were. 
I mean, I, I guess I just don't. I know fans were upset. I know that it was risky, obviously, and it was worst case scenario that came out of it. But how much did he miss by? I saw one report said he was like a yard shy. I saw other reports he missed it by a wide margin. No. When I'm field level, it's very hard to tell at the far end of the field how far I mean, short was, of the crossbar I, I was, it ended up. I was basically, I was basically along the lines. I, I think that would have been good by six at sixty five or sixty six. He might have ended up with the same situation as Tucker, okay. where at sixty six it might have hit the crossbar. Um, By the way, my sister-in-law, who knows nada about sports, is a Detroit native. I showed her the video of the Justin Tucker game winner against her Lions. Okay, a little gallows humor to show her how her Lions lost this week. And when it hit the crossbar, she said, is that allowed? Is that allowed? And I'm, yes, that is allowed. You can hit the crossbar and it can go through. So It was harsh. Yeah, She thought maybe Justin Tucker was cheating. I mean, I don't don't know if he was like right on the, I mean, it it can only go so far because Agnew had to have a way to catch it and not be out of bounds. But his, he, he was definitely as about as close to the out-of-bounds line as you could get. And he did have to kind of reach one of those reach-back things to get it yeah. and then go forward. So, I don't know. And, and based on – and we haven't interviewed Matt Prater, right? He hasn't spoken about it. I, I have not had a chance to talk to him. Just based on his body language on the sideline, I'm just going to take a flyer that he didn't feel like he hit that as good as he could have. That he, he did not quite – he didn't get the – he didn't – connect with that like he did the week before yeah. on a field goal that arguably could have gone 70 yards although was this the week post before. pick kick six when you when you saw this body language yes it was post kick six so, i sort of explain it to other guys okay maybe he what happened okay. so yeah, that's just sort of doesn't it give you a certain amount of confidence that they went they actually went for it at that point do you think last year if zane, zane gonzalez no hell no <laughs> so I, I think there's some optimism in that regard just the fact that you have that confidence in your kicker and and if let's be honest if the if it's 10 10 at that point with the kick six the fans aren't going to be going to be mad i think there was a lot of outrage just because they were down at the half against a oh sure rival yeah no there's so. no question there's no question that the way it turned out and and let's also face it. Do they try that if they're playing the, the Rams. Rams? Yeah, no, right. probably no. not. No, that's no. one of those things where it's like, okay, look, I you know, worst case scenario, they get. I'm not. I'm not saying they're saying this, but in the back of their head, maybe worst case scenario, there's a kick six. We're down seven. It's going to suck, but I mean, come on, we're playing the Jaguars. <laughs> I, so I, I had to ask the question of the head coach. I'm thinking, well, how do I ask this question about the kick six? Because he's going to get this question a million times without getting my face kicked in. And here was my question. It was, uh, when it comes to scenarios, nightmare scenarios, scenarios that can keep a head coach up at night, where does a kick six rank right before the half? So, uh, right? I mean, that, that's the kind of thing that is going to weigh on a coach's mind and uh, in the middle of the night. There's no doubt about it. Here's the other thing. They came out of half, and what happened? Kyler Murray threw a pick. See, I have I have a bigger problem with that play than I do the okay. kick. Here's where I'm going with this. In honor of Kyle and the analytics, our own analytics, next-gen stats, uh, courtesy of Jim Omohundro, who has noted, and this is truth, this is fact, that Kyler Murray has thrown a pick on the first drive of the second half in all three games this season. Wow. And then he's followed that pick on the first possession of the second half with a subsequent touchdown drive. At Tennessee, there was the Kirk, uh, Christian Kirk, Willie Mays touchdown catch against Minnesota after throwing a pick coming out of the locker room at halftime. There was the A.J. Green touchdown, the check to the right flat where A.J. Green got, boom, gave the stiff arm, and they got it in. 
And then at Jacksonville, it was a uh, Prater field goal, actually. So they scored. Uh, they've let a, he's led a scoring drive thereafter following the pick. And so that, that's interesting. Is that a halftime adjustment by the opponent that catches the quarterback by surprise? See, I'm going to just say for Jacksonville in particular, that wasn't – I mean, they were moving the ball. That's one of the reasons that play bothered me so much was because they were moving the ball and he took a shot that wasn't there and he pr- didn't probably need to do and they were moving the ball. I, I firmly believe if, if he checks – not checks down but throws shorter – and to somebody who's more open, I think they end up scoring a touchdown on that drive. I really do. It sounds like you guys miss Kyle. Just I just want to throw that out there. I feel like every episode no, you're, you you're guys not are, Kyle, no. so let's just make no, that you guys clear are just right like oh, in honor of Kyle. No, Kyle just the analytics. But remember analytics. my hashtag. Oh, so you don't miss Kyle. No, in no, no. General. My hashtag for a good twenty years, ever since I got crushed in college calculus. Hashtag no math. So I like to control the numbers myself. Okay, when, that's fair. You know, Kyle would just bring him, and you get blindsided. Like I got hit by Mike Golick in a sumo suit. Okay, that, that no, I want to be in control of the numbers. So that's that's a good thing about. Uh, but that was an interesting factoid about what has gone on. At the same time, once again, Kyler Murray has had an eighty percent plus completion percentage, two straight games, which has never happened before in Cardinals history. That's mind boggling to me. And that's why it annoys me at when people talk about just what he can do with his legs and they forget to mention how explosive he is uh, with his arm as well. But, I mean, you can't do that in week four, right? You can't do that against the Rams. You come out of halftime and you give the Rams back the ball and obviously you mentioned that stat of the percentage of the times that they're scoring. So there's a little, you know, there's a small room for error when it comes to playing the Rams and I think that's one area where Kyler Murray needs to improve you know being selective being uh, precise being you know accurate especially when when you're playing with the Rams I mean in the last four games he has five touchdowns and six interceptions against the Rams four games I should say so there's gonna be a there's gonna have to be an improvement in that area what's interesting is the Rams defense was number one in the league last year that's total defense that's total yeah. yards allowed and right now they're 20th in the nfl the rams and uh you know and that's going against a bears team and a colts team that's had issues on their old line and obviously at quarterback so and then yards allowed after catch has been an issue for this rams defense so let's not crown that rams defense in 2021 just yet well they lost some people in the offseason because they just can't afford everybody but they still have the best cornerback in the league and they have arguably the best player in the league in aaron donald so you know and uh, I've leonard read some, floyd stands out too leonard he's, floyd he's is been still good. a great he's pass rusher good. and you know they they're able to move jalen ramsey around a little bit uh you know maybe this game will be different because they're going to be like you go get hot but they have at times moved him around, and that's a scary uh, proposition because he is good kind of ball hawking, and I think Kyler's going to have to be careful. Ball hawking. There's our segue. Defense. How about the Cardinals' defense and the rankings through week three? Takeaways, number one. Force fumbles, number one. Fumble recoveries, number one. Passes defensed, number one. Third down percentage, Cardinals' defense ranks number two. How about that? And then sacks are top five. Uh, and there you go. Obviously, they were number one in the in the world after week one. But uh, that is as anybody concerned about the fact that Chandler Jones has not registered a sack each of the last two games. It's been Marcus Golden who's gotten one each of the last two games. Are you concerned? You mentioned it, Darren, and I was surprised a little bit that Trevor Lawrence had a lot more time to throw than I had anticipated. I'm I'm not going to say I'm concerned necessarily at this point, but I mean, again. 
there was so much excitement over that first game and and you know you you look sacks come in bunches and and maybe there's some to come but um you also want to be in a position where he's getting pressure and i think he's done that a couple of times and and at moments but i think the whole defensive front as as a group whether it's um chandler or jj watt or any of these guys i think they need to uh continue to to make that push and and again matt stafford is not a guy who's going to be running around a lot so you hopefully you can cover well enough that those guys can get home because if you don't it's going to be a long day that's what i was going to say well if they don't get a matthew stafford and he has four seconds to throw in the pocket i mean it's going to be a, a long long afternoon but that's that's my key to the game you have to pressure Matthew Stafford, you have to collapse that, you know, that pocket because if you don't, I mean, they have the best wide receiver in the NFL statistically in, in Cooper Cup. Uh, you have, you know, Tyler Higby's been performing well. You still have Robert Woods. So a combination of that is going to give you a long afternoon if you don't necessarily pressure Matthew Stafford. And you know what? They already saw a quarterback, a veteran quarterback, play at a high level in Kirk Cousins. Yeah, he, he was, played really well. He was really good. He's playing really well this whole Period. season. I saw his yeah. numbers against Seattle, although yeah. I saw some clips of the Vikings-Seattle game. And uh, if Pete Carroll and Seattle doesn't fix that defense, everybody's going to rip them apart. I saw some clips where there was one play <laughs> – that uh, it's an analytics guy who also is a Seahawks fan, and he's breaking it down, and there was a still shot. And Kirk Cousins had an open bootleg lane. Like, he probably could have gained eight yards if he ran. He had his check down guy wide open. He had his intermediate guy wide open. He had his third-level guy down the field wide open. Oh I mean, he, he could have done any of the four things, and wow. they would have gained a first down easy, if not more. I don't know where the guy went on the play, but... And there were multiple plays like that. The Seahawks did played just horrific defense in the clips that I saw. That's good. That story delivered because at first I was thinking a Seahawks fan and an analytics guy, two of my most despised aspects in a, in a person on the. And so you know that was that was good actually. The the story was worthwhile. You there know. There you go. But, I'm here for you, Paul. Yeah. So, but you know, Matthew Stafford, if you want numbers, his passer rating is nearly 130, and that's number two to Russell Wilson right now. And we know Kirk Cousins, I think, went for a buck 25 passer rating against the Cardinals, somewhere around there. And and look, the Rams are all in. We know what they did in the offseason. They traded two first-round picks and former number one pick overall, Jared Goff, plus a third for Matthew Stafford, who's in his early 30s. They are all in, and they gave him the big contract. Obviously, Jalen Ramsey's $100 million-plus corner and Aaron Donald. And But what you're seeing in this Rams offense is what happens when Sean McVay gets the top-five quarterback he's always coveted. And or when Matthew Stafford gets a top five head coach slash play caller that he never had in Detroit. This is what happens. You get a Rams offense, that's a juggernaut. And a top defense, too. You forgot that part. But I think he's the final piece to his puzzle, right? You know, you put Matthew Stafford in that offense, and that's what Sean McVay has dreamed of ever since he took that job. And just the job that... Matthew's been able to, I call him Matthew like I know him, but Stafford has been That's able to. That's what he wants to be called, Felipe. <laughs> has we're, been, we're not calling you <laughs> Phil. <laughs> As the job he's been doing under center ever since he got to the Rams is everything I'm assuming that McVay has hoped for. And then there's 
I mean, obviously less pre-snap motion, less wide receiver screens. He's just sitting in the pocket and he's just slinging it. I mean, that's the McVay formula. And Byron Murphy, Marco Wilson, Robert Alford are going to have to probably have the best game of the entire season to this point if they don't want to be, you know, dominated in that secondary. Yeah, and the guy they've added that isn't getting a lot of press is Deshaun Jackson. Yeah, and he had the ninth touchdown catch of 75 yards or more in his career in this last game and that ties Lance Allworth all time I I noted that because you know for those of us who follow uh, who for those of us Lance Allworth Bambi you don't know Bambi Felipe come on now for those of us who follow Deshaun Jackson's alma mater and uh, the fortunes of their football team, we have to go back to guys like Deshaun Jackson or Marshawn Lynch and Aaron Rodgers because there's absolutely nothing Steve to Barkowski. speak of. Steve Barkowski. How about Steve Barkowski, right. I'll Paul. take any of them. Craig Morton from the last oh, Rose Craig Bowl Martin in 1958. Like, I mean, good my one. goodness. it's uh, That's how bad it is when your alma mater loses to Reno at home and then just gave up 30-plus to Sac State. So Paul, that's what Paul. happens to guys like me. Paul, you didn't go to U of A. Yeah, so. uh, that's true. That's, that's true. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Did you, Felipe? Did you go to U of A? Is that, nope. Was he looking at you and that, no, about that, about that NAU? Wow, Are you wearing you that NAU loss? Are you wearing you the NAU loss? Me for a U of A no? okay. individual, Just I, I like to make sure over there. Wow, I, I didn't Paul. know if that. You, I don't know if you got ear hold by Darren on that no, one or no, not. No, I, wasn't I mean, sure I, that's that. just I, any, I, any U of yeah. A people that might be listening. Yeah. I got confused by all the right. names you guys were, yeah. were naming off. I'm like, who, Steve? What, Craig? Who? What? What is this? The History Channel? Like, what are we? Google's your friend, Felipe. Think about Deshaun Jackson at like 34, 35. Yeah. The dude can still run. And did you see? Okay, you brought up the Seahawks. Okay, first off, we had Coach Double Rainbow all these years. You know, his organic, his organic antioxidant ways. We just don't need the uber energy from a 78-year-old and all that, taking his shirt off with DK Metcalf. And now, now it's even worse. Now you got Sean McVay running down the sideline through the end zone into the tunnel to hug it out with Deshaun Jackson after their 80-yard touchdown strike. And then after the game, Sean McVay making a comment about how he pulled both hamstrings. The Cardinals need to win this game for the sake of the NFC West because I think I speak for everyone. When everyone is sick and tired, these energetic ways of Pete Carroll and Sean McVay. Well, I mean, don't be a hater, Paul. I mean... Sean McVay was just playing football like five years ago, wasn't he? So, okay, maybe not <laughs> yeah, five years you know, ago, but yeah. he's still pretty young. Just the unnecessary energy. Oh, yeah, I mean, always I hit the game. I'm tired of it. Tired of it, I'm telling you. You, you know what you sound like? You sound like uh, another, my lawn. another mailbag person <laughs> who she wrote in to say, why do all these players always do all these dumb celebrations like the Kyler with the Yoda and everything? You're embarrassing yourself. You know, no. just... No, but touchdown celebrations have been part of the games, you know, I, since I here you go, Felipe, you. White Shoes Johnson, okay? They've been they've been a part of the game Ooh. forever. Oh, exactly. Man. There you go. Come on. Did you not watch the halftime highlights with yeah, Chris Berman? White you, you missed White Shoes Johnson. Chris wait, wait, Berman wait, threw it confused. in there. Felipe. I was confused. For you, what year did the NFL begin? For me, uh, No, no, no. That's not a I mean, for you, like you could still say before you were born if you know about it, but if you're like if you're like, I, I don't know anything about the NFL before, like, 2015. <laughs> uh, I want to say, like, 98, 99, around uh, there when uh, they were still at Sun Devil Stadium. My dad still covered the team but, at that point. But, so. but there's a difference. What I'm saying is, there's, are you guys with me or against me? There's a difference between a player having a celebration and a grown man, the head coach, losing his mind like he's a player. Yeah, I, That's I'll, what's annoying I'm to me. I'm interesting to see what Darren says. I'll be honest. I don't really 
I'm more concerned about like the Pete Carroll's of the pulling off the shirt thing. Nobody. Needs why that. though? Why? Why? why Pete Carroll? Why Pete Carroll specifically? Because he's older. <laughs> I knew you were gonna say that. Like, come on now. Like Sean McVay is younger than I am. So like, I mean, if Dan Campbell wants to go ahead and flex, literally, then you know, okay. I mean, you know, I don't really dude, like, dude is still jacked, I guess. But come on. I, I just, I just know that you know. If you're going to do those things, you you're you could potentially set yourself up for <laughs> embarrassment and or uh, you know pushback when you're on the losing end or whatever, or you could get trolled, and that's fine. Yeah. But I don't. I, it doesn't really bother me. Here, that much. Here's what you need to realize: he's winning, dude. I mean, it, that's what you do. If you have a shirt pocket, which you know only Cedar citizens really do, if you have a shirt pocket and you have to take your readers out and your AARP card out before you take off your shirt, then you probably shouldn't take off your shirt. That's my point over here. So you don't like that the coaches are hype, but you don't mind that the players are hype. Exactly. It's when the coach runs across the field through the end zone and up the tunnel. See, okay. That that exceeds. I don't. I don't like the. Proper I don't decorum. like the coaches being hype, like on video in his office, i.e. the Carol taking off the shirt. But if you want to do, it's it's uh, you're on the field. Who you know. That it's an emotional game, and exactly. I think it should be emotional for, for coaches, too. Well, let me ask you this question. You don't like that. Do you like it when, uh, maybe not Cliff, because I know Cliff <laughs> would never, ever, ever use a cuss word, but when a, when a coach goes ballistic on a ref and like dresses them down and has to beep every other thing out of their mouth, is that okay? And by the way, the Cardinal sideline, uh, there were a lot of expletives flying okay. around on the uh, on the Max Williams flag. And they did I, not like that at all. Well, they were wrong. All. Yeah, but, I don't have a problem with that. It's the excessive see, display the, of... But, but what's the difference? I mean, well... I hear a lot of cap coming from <laughs> Paul's mouth. Right see, uh, cap. Uh, cap. I, I don't... What's the difference right. between that emotion well, and the emotion of being excited? I guess if I have to explain it, I, I just I'm confused that you think there's they're one and the same. I, I'm You're not saying, saying someone getting 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 irritated and or blowing a, a gasket over a play that might cost you a game mm-hmm. versus being excited over a play that might win you a game and running across the field when even the players aren't running across the field well, to okay, greet yeah. Deshaun Jackson. If you're exceeding the players' exuberance and emotion and celebration, then you need to check yourself. Is what I'm saying. Uh, perhaps. Perhaps I, I guess ultimately, again, I don't. If you're showing emotion on the field, whether you're yelling at a, whether you're yelling at the official or you're celebrating with your team, as long as it doesn't lose the team for you, I you mean, know what? If 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 Sean McVay and or Coach Double Rainbow need an example of how to conduct themselves, just look at the rookie Marco Wilson. This dude, you talk about acting like you've been there before, even though you haven't. Has this guy had a welcome to the NFL moment? You know, when his presser ended today, earlier today with the media, I, I was kicking myself. Once again, I bashed myself on the head. I'm like, Calvisi, why didn't you ask him, have you had a welcome to the NFL moment? Because nothing has made Marco Wilson blink yet. Nothing. I feel like Jim's going to yell at you one of these days. If, if For punching hitting, the mic? Yeah. He's going to be like, stop punching my mic. So I'm curious. <laughs> when, when you're running Cooper Cup out there and Robert Woods and you have Tyler Higby and now Deshaun Jackson and this whole Sean McVay orchestrated symphony of an offense, remember this goes back to the London game when the fans didn't know when to cheer. And so there was a lot of silence at the wrong times. And you could hear Sean McVay's voice blaring out the ear holes of Jared Goff's helmet. And you could, I could even hear it on the sideline. I couldn't make out what he was saying, but guys like Carlos Dansby were in that game, and they could literally hear word for word what the head coach was telling Jared Goff, the young quarterback, about how to read the Cardinals' defense at the time. 
So uh, all this uh, being the case, uh, this is quite a measuring stick for both sides of the football yes. for the Arizona Cardinals, is it not? It, it is. Ultimately, it is. I mean, it's only the first of six division games. They've got to play the Rams again later in the season. There's a lot that can happen. But again, as we said earlier, it's the beginning of a real difficult stretch against some good teams, and you, you've got to make some hay somewhere. And if it's not in L.A., then it better be at home against the 49ers, and you, you're going to want to show well. I mean, I think they match up well with the Browns, and that's going to be an exciting game and uh, game number 17, uh, even though it's not technically game number 17. But it was the extra game added in. So uh, this, this next stretch is going to yeah. be fascinating. And, again, you and I, Paul, got to go to L.A. last year, so we've been to that stadium, but it was completely empty. And it's going to be so weird being in there completely full. I think this. My, is, my son's going to that game. Oh, he is. Yeah, the one um, who asked about Daryl Washington. <laughs> and he'll be in L.A. Yeah, he's he's doing the double dip, the UCLA ASU game, and then he's going to go to the Cardinals game. I think this is a must win for the Cardinals. I know it's a an no. overreaction. It's a must win in this regard. No. Just be patient with me. No, okay, Darren, be patient with me, please. All right. Look, there isn't a Cardinals or what eight and zero and no, they haven't won right. They haven't eight, been in Sean, eight, Ma- eight, Sean McVay. Eight, yeah, eight games. Eight games they haven't won. Kyler Murray has struggled against that Rams front. DeAndre Hopkins hasn't had the best games against Jalen Ramsey. Byron Murphy, this is a statement game for him too. I mean, he's gonna be. I'm assuming he's gonna be on Cooper Cup. They're both, you know, slot. You know, Cooper Cup's a slot wide receiver. Byron Murphy excels in that regard. So I think it's a must win for a lot of those players that I just mentioned because it's a statement game for Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins, Byron Murphy, Cliff Kingsbury to an extent. That's why I think it's a must win. It's going to show us a lot about the Cardinals if they're, you know, playoff contenders, maybe even, I don't want to jinx it, Super Bowl contenders. There's a lot to be said about this specific game. So it's a must win. Thanks for being uh, I'm I'm trying, patient. Felipe. Here's, here's the problem with must win. Especially in this case, must win tells me you must win the game or else. And if they lose and they're three and one, and then they go off and beat the 49ers and the Browns, it's just, it's, I, I understand what you're saying. I, let me say this I think it says a hell of a lot about this team if they win it, mm-hmm. but I absolutely don't think they must win it. It's yeah. a pride, a pride must win. Though. Yeah, pride doesn't win you anything. <laughs> The, the must win at the Rams was week 17 yes, last year. exactly. Unfortunately. That was a must this win. Is a, this is a, a, second chance, a second chance at that. But, but, you're, but this stretch, whether it's the Rams, the Niners, and or the Browns, these are some of the best teams in the NFL, and we'll get the best out of the Arizona Cardinals. You know, that is the question, is it not? That and to what degree I tanked like the stock market today. That's the other question. I gotta that look we, this up. Out this there. is not so, making me feel good. No, it's not it's good. The don't second look, time you mention this. Don't so. do yourself. Do not look at your four hundred one k. Okay, <laughs> that's my final words of advice. If I've said anything, heed those final words. As we say, thank you for joining us on Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation.